Well, all right. Welcome to Relinquish Podcast. My name is Travis. I'm Christina. Hey. Hey. Welcome back for part two of the UFO episode. Thanks so, for hanging with. Think, yep. It's just going to keep getting better. It's, it's going to keep getting something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So up to speed. For those of you if, you, if you haven't listened to part one, go ahead and pause. Go back and listen to part one. We ended with a cliffhanger. Yeah. Or you can just listen to this one and then go back to listen to part one and then listen to this one again if you want. And then it won't be a cliffhanger. No, it's true. You'll, <laughs> it'll be a spoiler. You'll already know. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so um, up to speed, we were talking about the Phoenix Lights incident of 1997. So there was one witness to that event that I wanted to highlight. And that witness is none other than the great Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell? Yeah, Kurt Russell. He's a pilot. He was kind of a beginner pilot at the time. He was trying to get his hours in, um, trying to get as many hours in as possible, flying around. His son needed to go to Phoenix for something, so he said, hey, I'll fly you out there. That's kind of cool. As you do. Yeah. So as they were coming into Phoenix to, I guess, the airport, like the Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport, his son actually noticed the, the lights first. He noticed the lights kind of over the airport. And he goes, hey, dad, what are those things? And Kurt was like, oh, I don't know. Those look, looks weird, you know. So Kurt saw them and uh, he was like, he called it in. He called in the, um, to the tower. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hey, he had no idea what they were. And he just kind of said, called the radio tower. And I was like, hey, there's something above the airport that's lights, doesn't look moving. What? do y'all see this? And they said, well, we don't see anything on radar. And, um, he goes, well, and this is a quote from something I, I, I watched him, watched him do. Um, he said, well, I'm going to declare it's unidentified. It's flying and it's six objects is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so got the U and the F and the O yeah, that was before the renaming. That's true. That's true. So he was, he was, uh, on the up and up there, doing the right thing. Saying That's crazy. That, yeah. No, it gets crazier. So he didn't even think about it after that. He just kind of just for, he just forgot about it. See, now, this is where Kurt Russell and I are different. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I would have been trying to get hours in to become a pilot and I had an experience like that, I mean, it doesn't sound like it was traumatic or anything, but I would have been like a little less certain about whether or not I wanted to continue flying. Right. <laughs> And, and I wouldn't have forgotten it. Anyway, go ahead. Well, he didn't think about it for a little while until I think a couple of years later, his wife, the great Goldie Hawn, was watching a documentary on the Phoenix Lights. And she said, hey, that looks similar to what Kurt saw in Phoenix that one time. Hmm. And so she called him into the room and the narrator on the documentary said that the event was reported by one pilot. There's one pilot who reported it. Only one? Only one. And Kurt goes, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> Crazy, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I love Kurt Russell. <laughs> and as all of you know out there who are big uh, Marvel fans, Kurt Russell went on to play an alien in Guardians of the Galaxy. So he did. He did, yeah. Since we're talking about eyewitness testimonies, incredible, and since Kurt Russell's extremely credible, let's talk about a couple. There's no shortage of them, of credible witnesses. Did you know that at least two astronauts believe in UFOs? That's not surprising. Yeah. One has gone on the record stating they believe that we have been and or are currently being visited by extraterrestrial life. The other has had a couple of his own eyewitness accounts of seeing something okay. unexplainable. Now, the first person, first astronaut is Edgar Mitchell. And if you don't know who that is, he's the fifth person, sixth person, sorry, to walk on the moon. That's cool. He's been on the moon. My high school Spanish teacher was Edgar Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the same one. Yeah. Pretty sure my Spanish teacher didn't walk on the moon. Mm. 
La Luna. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one, <laughs> I don't know if I can top that. <laughs> the next one is um, Gordon Cooper, and he was the first American to spend an entire day in space. Wow. Yeah. He and he's you know all these all these astronauts are like engineers or super smart guys as well as like crazy test fighter pilots, right? Anyway, Gordon Cooper has a really neat story that I highly recommend that you listen to in the, that documentary. Out of the blue, or I know what I saw. They're both in there. He kind of get he goes on record talking about it, what he what he witnessed. All right. So, and then on top of that, there are all different kinds of uh, generals and pilots and government officials from all over the world um, for decades going on the record with their testimony. I highly recommend you read Leslie Kane's book that I mentioned earlier because it's all that's all it is. Um, to I- be. I just want to say, just as a side note, I thought about this when you were mentioning the astronauts, that pilots, astronauts, these are people who look at the sky more than the average person. And Mm. especially these days, it would seem that it's interesting to me that, I don't know, it sounds like maybe there's more sightings currently than there were in the past. Right. Or at least maybe more are being reported or I don't know, I might be misunderstanding what you're saying, but I have this um, preconceived notion that we don't look at the sky as much as we once did. That's true. Like, I just remember being a kid and laying on the grass and looking at the sky. Mm-hmm. And I don't see many kids doing that these days. And so for sure, adults, I don't feel like do that maybe as much as in past generations. That's a really good kind of observation I think and point to to say it's true although I think the sightings are increasing which says a lot if if we're not even looking at the sky very often and the the amount of sightings people are reporting and and seeing is dramatically increasing like exponentially well by what does golly, that, say? that gives me some hope that maybe we are looking at the sky that's maybe that's or maybe there's just more activity or maybe we're just looking at the sky. Or maybe, okay. Yeah, let's say we're looking at the sky. <laughs> or maybe a little of both. I love looking at the sky. I do too. All right, so real quick, I, I'm not going to go into these these two people's stories too much, but I just want to mention them because I think that they're very near and dear to my heart in this conversation. Um, so two people I want to discuss in regards to just kind of testimony are... Uh, a man named Travis Walton and a man named Bob Lazar. So let's start with um, Travis Walton real quick. Okay. Many of you out there may have heard about Travis Walton and may not have heard about Bob Lazar or neither. Travis Walton, um, he was had an experience where he claims to have been abducted by some type of craft um, in 1979. November 5th of 1979. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's right before I was born. But don't so don't tell them how old you are. Oh, never mind. I mean, when? Cut that out. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're young. And what is so fascinating about his story is that it was witnessed by six other people. Hmm. And... Like they witnessed him getting abducted? No, they witnessed him getting zapped... From a craft that was floating in the air in the woods of this Arizona, near this Arizona town. Why is it all in Arizona? Exactly. What's going on over there? Anyway, so he, they were working as a logging crew. They were taking uh, trees that had been fallen and they were clean, basically cleaning up the, the park. And they were working real late, a bunch of them, and they were on their way home late at night. They saw this they thought was fire in the distance in the tree line and they kind of went we're having to go toward it anyway because that's the way out well they came across this craft that was hovering not too far off the ground and you can imagine that they were scared and freaked out well travis gets out of the truck mystified and goes towards it does what everybody shouldn't do and investigates right right right. don't ever go investigate (laughs) i mean he's fascinated right And either he gets too close or whatever, but he gets shot back. Like his body flies 
10 feet up in the air and falls back. His friends freak out and drive away. They think he's dead. Well, they get halfway down the road and they're like, okay, we can't just leave him there. We got to go get him. So they turn around, they go get him. He's not there. The craft is gone. So they go back in the town and they immediately tell the sheriff. And of course, you can imagine what happens after that. The whole town thinks that they killed Travis Walton. He shows up five days later, calls his brother from a payphone outside of town. He is extremely dehydrated, malnourished. He's, I think he's naked and he is completely traumatized and he can't really talk about anything. He has no recollection of what happened right away. But obviously they didn't kill him. And then so eventually when he has a, when he's able to come to, he relates a similar story to what everybody else was saying, mm. you know. So, you know, eventually these guys, you know, the story was corroborated and they ended up having to take a series of lie detector tests over and over and over again. They all passed. So for me, this was a really interesting story because it's witnessed by several people. They all said the same thing. It's been backed up by polygraph tests. And so we don't know what happened. Right. We know there was a craft floating, hovering, at least from their eyewitness testimony account. He was taken. We don't know by what. We don't know by who. He talks about it in his in his testimony about what he remembers, which isn't very much. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like they don't even really know what happened. They don't, but he says in his own recollection, he's and he's undergone some hypnosis to help him. But he remembers being on a like a like a table, and they were kind of working on him, and he was in pain, you know, and he was freaking out, and there were like these beings over him, like alien looking beings, like with the big eyes and the big head, you know what I mean, the 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 gray looking thing with the big almond eyes and the weird shape head. Okay, you know that face. Sure. Okay, and then he and he does see a human on board that seemed to be in charge. And nobody would talk to him. And then he doesn't remember anything else. So he, now he's had like 40 years to, to mull this over. He now thinks, which I think this is really interesting. He kind of now has this different view of it. He's thinking, hey, these things were just parked there. I got too close to where it was hovering. And I somehow got in contact with this energy field and it blew me back. It wasn't them hitting me with anything. Sure. It wasn't them trying to hurt me. And then him getting taken aboard, they were trying to help him, like save his life. That's his kind of new thought on it. Okay. Okay. So, boom. That's his story. Next guy is a guy named Bob Lazar. We'll talk about him real quick. I think if you really want to look at this guy, you should look at his documentary called Bob Lazar flying saucers in Area 51 or whatever that I mentioned earlier. I think out of all the witnesses that I've seen over the years, Bob Lazar is by far the most credible in as far as his testimony goes. I don't think this guy's lying at all. He doesn't ever make this about him. He never as far as what he says that he experienced and what he witnessed, he is very kind of to the point. He's never profited off of his story. It's only hurt his life. And he just sounds like he is telling the truth. So why that's significant for me is because ultimately his story is he worked on a secret government program at a secret base in the Nevada desert. Uh, reverse engineering recovered UFO craft. And he worked specifically on the propulsion systems because that's what his specialty is as a, you know, scientist. Okay. And reverse engineering is looking at their the technology that was present mm-hmm. and trying to like deconstruct it to figure out how it works. How to construct it. How it works and how we can do it. Yeah. With what we have on Earth. Okay. So He essentially says, I worked on this program for close to two years. I saw that the government had nine alien spacecraft that were not from this world. 
Um, he has no idea how the government got him. No clue. Um, but they could, he learned how this propulsion system worked totally within the realms of physics, but it essentially creates this gravity field that can be manipulated and controlled and amplified, which allows a craft to be able to travel faster than the speed of light to go from one point in space and time to another point in space and time, um, in a blink of an eye. So it is a technology that we can replicate? If we had the fuel source. Which is? Element 115, which was an element that was not discovered. It was theorized, but not actually physically. Um, present. It's not present here on Earth. Um, and if you, know, if, you know, if you know your physics, the, the heavier the element gets as it goes on the periodic table. That's chemistry. Or whatever. But but in physics, sure, though, sure, I know. they talk about the heavier it gets, the more dense it gets. It, these particular elements become so dense, these metals, that they actually create their own many sources of gravity that expands beyond their particle. And that's the gravity that you can take, amplify, and manipulate. Interesting. Yeah. it's he The way he describes it and talks about it, just blows my mind. It's awesome. And he talks about it in such a way that you can tell he really loves science because he can talk about it really effortlessly and explain it into layman's terms. He was on board one of these crafts, learning how these things worked. And he talks about it in great depth, at least as far as the knowledge that he had. So, which is, so that's him. Well, I, what? Why... Why did he tell his story? Well, I mean, I don't want to really get into that because that's a longer story. Oh, okay. Never <laughs> mind. Just wondering. Insurance and, you know, it, it actually goes into the the whole idea of people on this believing side that this phenomenon exists. If you're going to say that this phenomenon is not alien, okay, it is secret government technology that is being tested. Well, these things have been around for decades. Um, we're talking about aerial craft that have been witnessed to perform maneuvers in the sky that are beyond possibility. Okay. Okay. They're just not physically possible according to what we can do on earth. And if there's an occupant inside, that person's going to not be alive because you're going from zero to whatever in a blink of an eye that just the force of that mm -hmm. would kill a person inside. And then these things also stop from, let's say, going 15,000 miles an hour to, to zero in an instant. That also would kill you. Or they make a 90 degree angled turn going at 15,000 miles an hour, mm -hmm. you know super fast. So what Bob says is that the technology that he witnessed, that's completely possible because of the way that they manipulate the gravity wave. The inertia is not, doesn't impact the people inside. So wow. it makes it possible. So what he says and what a lot of people say is like, look, if this is technology that we have as a people and it's not from outer space, it's from right here on earth, then it's morally wrong for the governments to be withholding this from the world population. Because if you can have an, a craft that can be propelled by not using a combustible engine of any sort, that you're using a different type of propulsion, then you're essentially tapping into zero energy and you're tapping into like a way that people can have access to free energy without being reliant on fossil fuels. And that's why he considers it morally wrong to Not withhold. just him, but a lot of people in this field, okay. when they're looking at this saying, okay, it's not aliens, it's definitely government, and they have a, a duty to release this technology to the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. No? Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot involved. Yeah. Sounds like. 
Now, now we're about to go into some alien talk. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, we're talking about the aliens. Let's just do it. Let's just go ahead and let's bite the bullet and get it get it out there. I'm biting it. Okay. <laughs> let's do this. Do this. I'm I'm really just going to cover the lore around aliens. Um, just a small topic. Just a small topic. We could really <laughs> go into this, but um, I'll try to stay. I don't know, within the realm of plausibility. The, in common lore of such discussions, it is com- there's a commonly held belief that there are three main species of aliens that have been visiting us and contacting people throughout history. Where does that belief come from? Just everything written about this topic, which there is an abundance. Sure. From personal autobiographies of people who have had experiences like abductions. But you're also talking about like ancient writings or no? Um, Yeah, ancient writings too. I mean, you have, I think, with the Aboriginal and other sort of populations in their historical, you know, oral history and traditions they talk about. Um, these sky people, and they describe them as one of these three things. Okay. Okay. Are ancient scripture history included? Do tell. Ooh, I just, I saw your eyes light up. You're like, whoa, your eyebrows went up. Well, we'll get into it. So one, um, three main species. I think I might be leaving one out. Like, I feel like there's more, but... There's more than three main species. I think so. I mean, there's a lot out there from, but the three main ones that I think are, I'm going to use the word credible loosely here, but as far as what? Well, I was just going to say, according to Schoolhouse Rock, three is a magic number. Three is a magic number. So is the Trinity. Yes. Okay. So let's just stick with, stick with three. I like three. All right. I like three. Three's good. Okay. First one is the most famous of all. And that is the grays. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say the grays? So some of you out there, when I say the grays, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then, you, and then the other half of you are going, what? What the what? What the what? <laughs> <laughs> They're the oval-shaped head, big black almond-shaped eyes. Almond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Slits for the nostrils and mouth. Yeah. You know that face? I know that face. Made famous by... Author Whitley Strieber and hit on his uh, cover for his book Communion, released back in the eighties, I think, and with the famous movie done after that, with the uh, infamous Christopher Walken playing <gasps> the author. Ooh, yeah. And there was an author who kind of made this sort of creature, this uh, visual of the gray, famous. In his description of it, in his book, which was autobiographical of his experiences of being abducted by these alien beings, and it was called Communion. Anyway, I did made a movie of it. Anyway, these are the most famous ones of the bunch. They Everyone knows who these people are. When you see an alien on in pop culture, mm-hmm. this is the guy you see. Right. Um, they are really small, like four feet tall. Okay. Most famous for abducting people. Okay. The next ones are the reptilians. So what do you think they look like? I don't know. Birds? Yeah, reptiles. (laughs) The reptilian looking bipedal beings. And according to lore, they're very mean and aggressive and very cunning and smart. I say in our scriptural history, think of the Garden of Eden. With the serpent in the garden. Mm. Some people have rewritten that account, thinking that the quote unquote serpent in the garden was a reptilian being. That's a thought? Yeah, since he was talking and that kind of stuff. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, the the last one is 
So wait, was that the part you were talking about? Yeah, that was that the part was... I was talking about. Okay, that totally doesn't count. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But... You trickster. Well, you know, we could really have some good conversations about that idea of reptilians and stuff um, and, and Bible and uh, even Jewish mysticism and that kind of stuff in relation to the reptilian beings and that them playing a part in that story because it's a very interesting kind of rabbit hole to go down. Okay, so enough of that. The Nordics are the last ones. What do you think they look like? Hmm. I know. Maybe like they live near the equator? <laughs> Brown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. Wah, wah, no. Wah. Okay, so the Nordics are, these are human-looking beings, blonde hair, blue-eyed people, friendly, peaceful, they're often the ones that are seen in the contact D cases. And we mentioned contact D at the beginning of episode one, when we kind of went through the, the definitions of things. Remember? Mm-hmm. You read them. These are the people in most of those cases. Um, they're very, you know, love and light kind of stuff. And always trying to look out for humanity Nothing but positive experiences with the Nordic beings. I'm following. Okay, good. They are usually warning us of future calamities from our own making. You know, telling us to do peace, love, and light, that kind of stuff. Those are the three main things. Now, there's probably a few out there that, like, there, there are others. In some of the lore, there's, like, insect-looking ones, like praying mantis often shows up as a giant praying mantis being. Okay. <laughs> okay. So those are those. So what if, all laughing aside, what if aliens, what does that mean for us as a human species? What does that mean for our religions and why is that important? And we were talking about this not too long ago and um, you were like, so what does that matter? Who cares? Like what difference does it make is what you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I said, well, I think the difference for a lot of people, if not the majority of us throughout time, humans have been asking the same questions and we continue to ask them. And that those are, you know, where do we come from? You know, why are we here? What happens when we die? And are we alone in this universe? Important questions to be asking. Very, very important questions to be asking. Knowing whether or not there are aliens in this universe kind of can answer all of those questions as a potential to at least for some. For example, there are some who believe that Earth was populated by other beings and that we were created by them and, you know, like Earth is a big science experiment? No, we're not the only ones. But, you know, there. I mean, there's the panspermia theory about biological life coming from an asteroid, and that's what came on here. But you, you extrapolate that and turn it into um, different species of beings creating new species of life and populating planets with them. It sounds like a science experiment. Okay. Yeah. Science experiment. Not I mean, we unlike what we are. Yeah, we do it. Moving towards, right. yeah, with GMOs and things. Right. And we create hybrid beings as well, but. Right. That that will answer for some people where we come from. Hmm. Okay. 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 Then there's the, why are we here? That can also answer some of that. It doesn't really give us purpose, which is, I think, the core of that question. Why are we here? For me, I, I think of purpose. What is our purpose? Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people out, outside of a spiritual faith don't think we have a purpose other than continuing biological life from the evolutionary standpoint. Okay, and then the other one is what happens when we die? I don't, I don't think that answers that question. No. No. But are we alone in the universe? That probably answers that. 
<laughs> I would definitely answer that. <laughs> okay, we've got three of the four, right? That can be answered potentially. At least partially. Partially. I think that's where the... Like the draw is? The draw. I think that's where the attraction to this is. Is that we're drawn to this because it can answer so many of those questions. Where here, a, a lot of us have already answered those questions through spirituality of some sort. Helps us give us meaning and purpose. A lot of us just humans. Right. Humans. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, me. I've done it. I've done it. I've answered those questions. <laughs> that moves us into talking about the, the more metaphysical aspect of this phenomena. For most of this show, we've really focused on the nuts and bolts of this topic the physical attributes of it, the, the craft and the, the flying craft and that kind of stuff. Is there a metaphysical perspective here? Some believe that this phenomenon, that there's more to it than just the physical, that there's a spiritual element to it as well. And there's a guy. There's a guy? There's a guy. Who's the guy? There's the guy. Who, there's always a guy. There's always a guy. He's the guy. Why's it got to be a guy? um he's really he's well known in this field he's well known in this field and kind of has a has this approach to the phenomenon that is different than what most people see when they see this phenomenon so do tell um i'm going to use him as sort of just a springboard for this conversation okay so he's not the be all end all of, of any of this um, from you said he was the guy. He's the guy, but <laughs> <laughs> he's not the be all end all. Okay, okay. I both like this guy a lot, and I'm also really annoyed with him. I can't seem to let me just let's just talk about him, and you can kind of maybe you can feel my frustration, and and also my I admire the guy for what he's doing. I respect. I at least well, admire is not the right word. I respect him. Okay. So his name is Dr. Stephen Greer. And for a lack of a better term, so this is by no means a derogatory use of the term, but he has more of a new age approach to this phenomena. Kind of like the Nordics you were talking about? Yeah, kind of like the Nordics. <laughs> so to help us understand this a little bit, as we talk about this guy and what he believes, there are, there are often in some of the, I don't want to say crazy because I don't want to be mean or anything, but some of the far out there um, autobiographies and books on being abducted or having contactee situations with these beings, mm -hmm. especially the Nordic, there are often references to angels and that kind of stuff from the biblical perspective, which in my opinion, they kind of butcher it a little bit. That kind of comes into play later on with this guy, but not in such a crazy way. Again, I don't mean to use the word crazy, so I'm not trying to say bad things about people. Let me just, I'm trying to think of a better, I'm trying to think of a better, better word. word. Uh, eh. Well, if you out there have a better word, please insert it yourself. Cause I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm at a loss. I think we get what you're saying. Okay, good. So his name is Dr. Stephen Greer. He was a medical doctor, a trauma doctor at an ER for a while. But he's always been fascinated with the topic of extraterrestrial life, UFOs and that kind of stuff. For one, because he had uh, an experience when he was a little kid. He believes he was contacted by aliens. That He met some and he had like a... Mm, I want to say like a mind meld, but he, he visited with some in a higher level of consciousness. So, you know, out of body is not the right word, but you know, mm -hmm. does that make sense? It does to me. Okay. Okay. And it also makes sense that if you believed you had an experience like that, you would be interested oh, in, right. in this. Yeah, exactly. So that really, it changed his life. He was very young. And then when he was in his late teens... He had a near-death experience, which also brought him in contact with 
these beings. And so obviously for him, it was a very profound spiritual and positive experience. It only helped him in his life. It gave him a completely different perspective of life. And he has been actively pursuing this phenomenon since. He has for um, many, 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 many years, he has been highly involved in trying to bring about worldwide disclosure. Do you know what disclosure is? No, can't say that I do. Okay. I mean, in this sense. Sure. So for those of you out there, again, half of you will know, half of you will not. Disclosure, and I might butcher this, but if I do, please forgive me. My understanding of disclosure is when the governments of the world who have been keeping secret the evidence and know and known mm. about UFOs, um, it's when they finally say, okay. We know about UFOs. They're here. Aliens exist. We have access to them and their technology, yada, yada, yada. So they, they disclose it to the public. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh, and by the way, yeah. here's what we've known all along. He's a huge advocate for disclosure, and understandably so. Um, he's created a few documentaries, two recently, that are just extremely, Extremely well done. He thinks very highly of himself. He's constantly talking about how many, you know, meetings he has with joint chiefs of staff, joint chiefs of staff, and that kind of stuff, briefing them on this phenomenon and helping provide them with legitimate evidence for the existence of extraterrestrial beings and craft. Some might call that branding. Branding. Yeah, he's getting his brand out oh, there. Yeah, he's yeah. making it known. Yeah, he's that making it known. He's the expert. He's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah, he's, he's making branding it. right there. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yes, that's exactly what he's doing. I never thought about it like that. Aren't you glad you have me? I am glad I have you. I love you. So that's what he does. Yeah, he's branding himself out there to be the guy. And he is the guy because they actually have these meetings with him. They talk to him and he ends up getting all these whistleblowers to go on the record kind of like Leslie, Leslie Kane does in her book, but he gets all these whistleblowers from the government and other sources to go on the record talking about their experiences and being able to leak evidence that was previously withheld by the government. Now, is that like a partial disclosure? Yes. And actually he, he goes on and like in his latest uh, documentary, he goes on to say disclosures already happened. Mm, okay. It really has. All right. Um, it's just, it wasn't this giant, you know, celebration where everybody knew about it. Anyway, he has these two documentaries and I was reluctant to watch them because his overall approach approach to this and his belief on it, I don't agree with. I don't agree with sort of his concept of this. He has this um, belief that all contact with these beings is benevolent and that um, these beings only want what's best for us and he thinks there's no danger whatsoever in having contact with these beings and I completely understand why he thinks that one of the arguments he gives in his documentary is he goes on these excursions with people takes them out into deserts and places and they do these protocols where they raise their consciousness and communicate with these beings. And these beings communicate back to them in, in group settings. And um, they, people that, that go on these excursions with them, they have these really cool experiences where they see craft. They, they, um, some people are healed of certain ailments. They, they witness extraordinary things. And they go on to talk about it. But... He says in the 30 years he's been doing that, not a single person that he's worked with and, or had in, the, in those groups have been hurt by these beings. So for him, and he says, you know, these beings are so much more highly advanced technology-wise. They, the, they have the means to wipe us off the face of the earth and to enslave us and all that kind of stuff, and they haven't. 
So either they have an extremely, extremely well, I don't know, reserved in. Like they're able to practice restraint? Yeah, restraint is the word I'm looking for. Or they're peaceful. Well, he's definitely having experiences that are supporting his belief. His belief. Sure. As well as the people around him are having experiences that are supporting that belief. Now, my sort of, and I'm sure he addresses this a lot. I think he does. Well, what about the thousands and thousands of other testimonies out there where people have gotten hurt? The abductee cases. What do you, what do, you do with that? What do you do with that information? And I think his response to that is, those aren't really abductions by aliens. Those are abductions by the military to, to create an illusion, to create this narrative inside the public that alien beings are to be feared and are not okay. And so which, which part of all of this is your beef? I guess I don't have a beef with any of that, even though, even though I don't agree with it. I don't necessarily agree with most of that. I can see how that can be logical in deducing that from... Right. And he, he goes up. So I think what's interesting about this topic in general, so watching his documentaries, the first one I watched is mainly just exposing government cover-up to the phenomena. Definitely worth the watch just for that. Because he really exposes some really cool classified memos and that kind of stuff that got declassified that he brings out that really, really highlights the secrecy around this and that the government knows things are going on. However, so he, he takes all that information, you know, pairs it with his own experience and then comes to these conclusions. Well, so does everybody else. They do that. Right. I'm waiting because you said we might be able to hear your frustration once you started getting in. And so far, I'm like, I haven't heard the frustration. So where is it? Well, I don't know. Maybe it'll come out. Okay. I, I don't want to bash the guy. Oh, no. That's not yeah. what I meant. Okay. All right. Well, I think um, what's interesting is that as with any of the topics we cover, you take the information, the data that's there. So the data is a factual set of data. And then how you interpret that data is what is going to create the lattice or the scaffold for your belief around that, around that topic. Yeah. And to a certain degree, hmm, there's probably some gray area around what the data actually is because there anybody is. who's experiencing the data has a lens that they're experiencing mm -hmm. it through. Right. So. I, I hear you, but yeah, the older we get, the less black and white there is. So it's so true, and we're getting old, <laughs> <We're> <laughs> ancient, snapping and popping. <laughs> okay, so this guy in his second documentary, he really goes into the spiritual aspect of this, and just to kind of put it in a nutshell, he really is under the belief that. There are alien species out there that have been making contact with us. There are several different species. They've been making contact with us for a long time, but doing so through more of a spiritual way, through a higher level of consciousness. Rather right. than a nuts and bolts approach, rather than just landing a ship in our front yard, getting out and having that conversation with us in the physical realm, they've been doing it in the, in the non-physical realm. Like telepathic communication. Telepathic is one way you can Mystical put it. experience. Mystical experiences, spiritual experiences on a higher plane of consciousness. Um. And so that's his approach. That's what he thinks is going on, which who knows if that's what's happening or not. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like how dogs can hear sounds that we can't hear. 
It's like there's a... There's another sense there, sure. Yeah, and yes. Yeah. Let's let's unpack this a little bit from our perspective. And maybe the frustration from me will come out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll be satisfied. Real quick, I'm, I don't want to... I don't want to beat this too much, and I don't want to go down too far of a, a tangent here. Yeah, I mean, the point is that there's a spiritual dimension to the issue. There's a spiritual dimension to the issue. Okay. I kind of think there is to some degree, you know. I, re- I guess what I really like about his view, even though I'm not on board with it 100%, is that he takes it beyond the physical and he says, there's more to it than this. There's just way more to it than just the physical. And his whole, like where he gets that from is, and I, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but from an evolutionary standpoint, and we, we kind of touched on this earlier in the episode when we talked about the main belief system of it's possible extraterrestrial life is out there in other planets far, 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 far away and that we'll never be able to talk to them because we're, we're too far away from them. And the reason why it's possible is because they have their planets have been in existence for billions of more years than ours. And so they've had that much longer to evolve, which is very logical when you're looking at it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that's the perspective he's looking at it from. He's saying, these are those beings and they have evolved, not just in their technology, but also in their spirituality and their level of consciousness. And that he believes the force, so to speak, is real, like the force from Star Wars. And that everything is connected to this source you used the word source. We talked about this before. Like divine source. Divine source, yes. Like the source. Like the, the source. guy. The guy. The guy. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. This the the source. All of us are connected to it in the universe. Every living being, every star, everything is connected to the source, right? Because we're all is, is energy a part of that at all? Or? Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure it is. Okay. Energy is part of that. We're all energy, whatever. But he, <laughs> <laughs> he, so he, he's saying we're all connected to, you know, something greater than ourselves. And so we can tap into that if we elevate our consciousness. And these beings have been able to do that and they've been able to do it for a long time. And so they're doing that and they're calling us to do that ourselves. So that so we can achieve that. These, these beings are essentially plugged into source. Yeah. And therefore, they're more advanced. Or they've been able to become more advanced. And since we're not plugged into source, that's why we're still like yeah. driving cars on roads instead of flying. And Right. He says... He, he looks at it as far as advancement's concerned. You know, not only are they more technologically advanced and they're, you know, consciously more advanced, they've been able to surpass the need for what we would consider sin running, running our lives. And so they've moved beyond that. And that's which is, has allowed them to go beyond fossil fuel technology, zero energy technology. So they're not they're not beholden to greed, corruption of any kind. And so they're able to live in harmony together and be able to experience kind of like a, a, a utopia or a heavenly realm. Uh, yeah, I mean, sense? it sounds like if I'm hearing you correctly, okay. and if, I mean, if, of course I have a filter. Sure. But I'm filtering this through, but it's almost as if they've, they've been liberated, like this idea yes. of liberation or nirvana or whatever, enlightenment, like they're there. They're there. They have self-actualized, self-realized. Yeah. They're doing the thing. Right. And his his whole deal is just takes constant prayer and meditation to get you there. So. Uh, and the right type of prayer and meditation, yeah. I guess, because that's what, isn't that what like a monastery is where you're constantly in prayer and meditation? 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so continue. All right. I hear the frustration <laughs> coming. It coming out? All right. So, I'm Dr. Greer. I think you're, I like your documentaries and all. I don't know how I want to, I really don't want to sound. Okay, for one, I don't know anything. I don't know, I don't have the answers. Well, so, that is, you know something. You I know, know that you don't I know, know. Yeah. I think what's frustrating, because I have a lens that I look through, and that's from my faith. And um, just like his, he's got a faith in this. So I totally respect him for that. The way I see it is, I don't know, like, for one, I believe that as... I don't know. I believe that we have, there's more to us than just the physical. So we're, him and I are eye to eye on that. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Uh, we believe that we're created in a way that since we have this eternal spirit in us, we are able to simultaneously live in a physical realm and a spiritual realm. Simultaneously. At the same time. At the same time. Until we die. Um, and then we're just in the spiritual. Well, and our spiritual, the spiritual aspect of ourself is how we connect to source, source which we would right. call God. Right. So like, it's all there. I mean, it's all there. It's, just, you know, I think where my frustration is, is that I'm like, man, and this is just because of my belief, you know. I'm not saying he's wrong, but in my mind, he's wrong <laughs> like, because of my belief. My belief is, man, you're so close because, yes, there is a source. Mm -hmm. And that source is God. And it's not just God by a thousand different names. It's, it's, there's one name for him. Sure. And um, that's what you're really looking for, Mr. Greer, Dr. Greer. That's what, that's what you're trying to connect to. And while he may be having these genuine spiritual experiences and while the people who are with him are having these genuine spiritual experiences where they're connecting with these entities, I have a hard time believing that they're all good and they're all there for the benefit of humankind because of my beliefs. I think when you do that, you open yourself up to not just the good, but the bad because there are bad spirits out there. There are bad beings out there. There are malevolent beings yeah. out there who do not want the good for us. But they're not going to just show up like some axe-wielding maniac. They're going to show up like a being a light to try to entice you to believe what they want you to believe to direct you away from the true source. Mm. So well now, put. I just went on a tangent. So help me bring me back here a little bit, because that's, that's where my frustration lies a little bit with this guy. Well, to bring it back, yeah, you help. said the kind of the point of bringing this up is that there's this rhetoric around a spiritual dimension to this. And you said that you can get behind the fact that there is or could be a spiritual dimension to this. Yeah. I mean, is there anything further, really, that you wanted to extrapolate from that? that there is. Yes, there is. couple of things. And then we and then we'll wrap it up. For one, anyone out there, feel free to go watch these documentaries. They're, they're well worth the watch. You know, just watch it with um, your own lens, and you know, don't take everything he says. Um, you know, go and look it up yourself. But he has a lot of good stuff to say. He also has a lot of good stuff to say about consciousness because he goes into the science of consciousness that is being studied and has been studied for like twenty, thirty years, and it is so fascinating and so well worth just watching for that because that brings up a whole nother topic of conversation that we'll have to do sometime about yeah, consciousness. We could have a whole episode on just that. Cause yeah, yeah I, so we're not going to go into it now, but you know, that is so good. So why it's important for me on this is as a Christian, cause I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. Um, I've talked to other Christians about this topic and I get a lot of mixed 
looks. <laughs> well, there's a pretty big spectrum of what the identity, like identifying as a Christian is. Well, that's true. So pretty big spectrum. Okay. Well, let me just say from the Christian saying a Christian from our perspective. Okay. Okay. From, from what we, we, we believe a Christian is the two of us, you and me, which I'm not going to say right now, but just you and me. Cool. Just us. Just us. I get a lot of, you know, mixed looks, uh, just talking about it. And from all of my years of research and looking into this topic, I've seen in interviews and so forth, people, their faith is completely shaken and rattled when they have an experience, whether it be an abduction or they see a craft that they can't explain and that kind of stuff, their faith is shaken. And my my brain kind of goes to this, well, what is our position on this? What's the Christian faith's position on this? And uh, how do I want to say this? Well, I'm glad you are saying it because this is the meat, essentially. This is right. why we went off on this whole spiritual yes. tangent was for this. Like for this, this. Now it makes sense to me. Yeah. I was like, where are you going with where, this? I know. I get I, it. <laughs> talking in circles here. What does it mean for us? When you really, when someone really looks at the, the source material that I've mentioned in this episode, especially at the beginning, you have to wonder what would happen if we came face to face with the reality or a reality that extraterrestrial life was a fact and a reality and was right there in our face. How would we cope with that? I think most secular people would cope very well with it. It would be within their paradigm. But people of faith, depending on what that faith was, it could really, really shake them. And for me, it's not going to shake my faith. Like if there was, you know, if aliens showed up and down at city hall and like, Hey, what's up? Like, that's not going to, by no means would it rattle my faith. My faith would not be lessened at all. Yeah. I think I would say the same, but I, you had mentioned actually this now that I'm remembering in the topic of the earth being flat versus round. And that when it was, you know, quote unquote discovered that the earth was round. Right. A lot of people, their faith was shaken because they mm -hmm thought they knew that the scripture went against that view and yada, yeah. yada, yada. Yeah. That's a, I'm glad you brought it there because part of this revolves around the people I've spoken to or read or listened to say that, you know, according to the, the Christian Bible, um, aliens are not possible. Like it's not within the realm of our paradigm and faith. And there's a lot of logical and great arguments to support that. From what I know is that the Bible is very silent on this topic. And many topics. And many topics. I mean, what it's not silent on is that there are extraterrestrial spiritual beings that are that are out there. Yeah, man, that whole angels thing the as angels. A, as an ET, that just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, angels <laughs> and demons and fallen angels and that kind of stuff. While we may not be able to see them, and they can also manifest in the in the physical, so it's it's really not outside the realm of possibility. But um, for some, it's really just no, absolutely not. Um, if there's aliens, then therefore um, the Bible isn't true, and that kind of stuff. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I don't think that if aliens did exist, it, it discredits the Bible at all because the Bible is kind of silent on that, on, on it. What the Bible focuses on is who the creator is. Mm, mm -hmm. Not necessarily all of creation, but who the creator is. That's why it's, I don't know. That's where your frustration is. That's, that's where, where the beef is. That's where the beef is. And that's where I, that's where my mind goes. I'm, we're starting to see more and more sightings and, and people are taking this topic more seriously I'm like, what are we going to do? And if we come face to face, we don't want to, um, I don't know. 
I don't know what I'm trying to say. We don't want to be so heels dug into our perceived convictions yes. that we're coming up with based on our limited understanding. Right, because it puts us in a, in a hold. Now, there are things that our faith really dictates us to stay strong and hold on to. Oh, yeah. Morals and values and stuff that we have to say, nope, we, there's a line there that we're not going to cross. But I don't think this is one of them. And I just called myself out on that one. But Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think there was one other thing I wanted to talk about, but I guess not in, in relation to that. Did you want to add on to that? I feel like I'm missing something. No? I don't have anything to add. Okay. Do you believe in UFOs? Didn't we already talk about that? I don't know. We talked about that. Yeah, we talked about, you know, do I believe that it's possible that there are phenomena that exist that we can't explain? Oh, well, of you course. Did. Yes, yes. <laughs> Have you learned anything from this episode besides Nordics and greys and reptilians? I've learned more than I ever wanted <laughs> to know about UFOs and then some. And then some. I got to say, you've been such a trooper for this episode. And so have y'all. All of you out there have been such troopers waiting for this to come out. So many times I get so many... So many people have reached out to me. When is it coming out? Yeah, all the fan mail, all the letters, all Everything, the phone calls. Just hurry up. So sorry. My wife and I do this, obviously. We can't even seem to get our schedules to line up to sit down and record this because it's hard. So your people need to contact my people better and we need to get this going. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's wrap it up. Let's get you guys out of here. Let's get us out of here and get off to bed. Off to bed. Off to bed with you. Off to bed. It's been a great time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You've hung in there and stuck with me. You haven't really enjoyed it, but you've done it. Are you talking to me? I'm talking to you. <laughs> okay. Sorry. And I and the audience. You hung in there. <laughs> yeah. So good times were had. Good times. If you learned anything, Kurt Russell, Salt of Phoenix Lights. <laughs> yeah. Jack <exactly>. Burton. <laughs> <laughs> so uh. With that, we'll go ahead and start to sign off. So just a reminder, you can support this show in many different ways. You can tell your friends about us. You can um, you can donate to our cause. We have a uh, support us page on our website, www.relinquishpodcast.com. You can um, leave us a review on any of the platforms that you listen to it on. And um, just wanted to tell you what we're going to be doing next. So our next episode is going to be on recovery. It'll be part of our addiction series. We'll focus, this one will focus on what does recovery look like in the addiction world. And then we are going to do an episode on the pharmaceutical industry. Joy. Which will be fun. That's going to be big. It's going to, they're all big. They're all big. They're all biggins. Yeah, except for this one, even though it's two-parter. So we'll do the pharmaceuticals, then we'll do... Um, it's not so controversial. We'll do vaccines. That one's pretty standard. Yeah, no controversy there. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about vaccines these days, so I figured let's go ahead and talk about it too. So we'll talk about vaccines, and then we'll probably only have time to do another one. Um, I, I want to do one on September 11th, and I'm talking about when the Twin Towers fell. So I'd like to do a, an episode on that. That is a pretty controversial episode. I'd like to do that, have that one released by September so that it can kind of go in line with the anniversary coming up. So if it doesn't happen this year, look for it next September. <laughs> oh just saying, no. just saying. So thank you again all for your patience and um, please like and subscribe or whatever you got to do. And uh, join us next time as we respectfully agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs>